Thank you ever so much. Let me add my welcome again to you this morning. Let me also say, as Lee alluded to, and letters and stuff that you've, you've showered upon, Sheryl and myself at this time. Really, really grateful to God. We had an elders and deacons meeting on Thursday and there's a real sense of peace that God is in control of all of this. As, as Lee alluded to, it's right that we, we pray thy will be done and, and that's what happens and thy will be done. Thank you, Jesus. And uh, we've got an elders meeting on this Thursday to think about how we move forward. There's also a time, an opportunity for after the evening service for a time of prayer over the pastorate. This is God's church and we want God's will to be done and God's will to be known to us. So we move forward together. Let's pray as we look at this passage that Ed read to us. If you have your Bibles, please turn back to that. Uh, on, in my Bible, it's 1307, but in your Bible, I've got no idea what page number it is, but it's 1 Timothy 5, 17 through 25, where we'll be focusing on. So while you're turning there, let me pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you that the most God-glorifying thing you do is save sinners. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. So wrote the Apostle Paul, who wrote this letter. As we look into this passage that he speaks to the young Timothy about uh, the oversight, the overseers of the church, we ask and pray that you administer to us, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. Timothy was a young man, uh, probably in his early 30s, and he had been left in Ephesus by his spiritual father, the Apostle Paul, in Ephesus, and he had been given the massive task of guarding God's family with God's gospel for God's glory. By the way, that's a summary, that's the tweet, by the way, of 1 Timothy. It is to guard God's family with God's gospel for God's glory. That's the takeaway from 1 Timothy. That's the calling, by the way, of every pastor. I have no doubt that that Timothy must have often felt that he was over his head, out of his depth, and at the end of his rope. That's the calling of every pastor. Especially when we read this part of his job description regarding the elders of the church. It's on the uh, screen behind me. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. How we conduct ourselves in God's household, in God's church, both as we are gathered together, as we are this morning, and when we are scattered in our various front lines, and when we're apart, be in our homes, in our workplaces, in our community, it is crucial that we know how to conduct ourselves as members of God's household, because... How we conduct ourselves will either bring glory or slander to God's name. It will either make the gospel that we share look beautiful or ugly in the eyes of those who don't yet know Christ. 
We're in working through chapter 5 of Timothy's job description that Paul sent him. And the thrust of this section of the letter, Paul is developing the statement that he made in chapter 3, verse 15. Let me read it to you. Paul writes, If I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Last week, John Ward took us and showed us how we are to conduct ourselves regarding those who are widows within the church family. And we are to ensure that every widow is cared for well, either by their own believing families or by God's family. And that's that's what we get in chapter 5, verse 3. Proper recognition to those widows who are really in need. Because by providing such loving, wise care, it pleases God. Chapter 5, verse 4. This week, we're looking at what Paul charges Timothy to teach the church regarding the elders. And we can see straight off the bat how deadly serious this part of Timothy's job description is. Let me read you verse 21 again. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. It's a massive charge that Paul lays upon Timothy to teach the church about how to care for and pastor the pastors of the church. Because the elders of the church of the living God have such a huge responsibility on their shoulders and it is an enormous privilege to be given to to, for men to be called and set apart by the holy spirit to be overseers of the church of god let me say this to you to, to you elders and those people that god will call into eldership in the in the life of the church going forward if god calls you to be an elder don't stoop to be a king If God calls you to be an elder, don't stoop to be a king. We see that Paul charges Timothy to teach the church three hugely important lessons regarding the elders. Lesson number one, the elders who serve well are worthy of double honor. Lesson number two, the elders who are proved to be sinning are to be reproved publicly. Lesson number three, new elders are to be appointed very carefully and slowly. Other three things I want to to speak on this morning as we prepare our hearts to come around the Lord's table. Number one, if you can move that on for us, thank you. The elders of the church, the elders who serve the church well are worthy of double honour. Look at chapter 5, verse 17 through 18. (laughs) The elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honour, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. For Scripture says, Do not muzzle an ox while it is treading out the grain, and the worker deserves his wages. Notice it's direct the affairs of the church well. What does that mean? If you're following, tracking with us in your home groups, I've sent out some notes which give you some of the things that how we as a church can know from this letter 
And there's one other verse in Acts that shows what well looks like. How do you know the elders of the church are directing the affairs of the church well? It includes guarding God's family with God's gospel for God's glory. That's the summary. It involves taking care of the never-dying souls that God has put under our responsibility and the power of the Spirit and under the rule of God's Word. It is providing, protecting, directing. It's a huge responsibility and it's a glorious privilege. And those who serve well are worthy, says Paul, of double honour, which includes, not not exclusively, but it includes respect and remuneration, motivated by passionate, practical love and care. He goes on to say, notice, he says, especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. I take that to mean there's those who direct the affairs of the church. You can... We'll have a conversation over coffee if you take a different view. May the Lord bless you. That's fine. I think there are two types here that he talks about. Those who direct the affairs of the church well, the ruling elders, and especially those whose work is preaching and teaching. Preaching and teaching suggests, because of the remuneration that's coming up, these guys are set aside for full time. It also suggests, does it not, those who work, those whose work, not the man whose work is. It suggests a plurality. And it indicates that there's a full-time paid staff elders. And the reason they are to be remunerated is because of what he says in verse 18. For Scripture says, this is quite, un- quite flattering, isn't it? Do not muzzle an ox while it's treading out the grain. Okay, your paid pastors are oxes treading grain. Deuteronomy 20. verse 4. Can you imagine Paul looking for an Old Testament reference in his lesson on how to care for your elders? And the immediate thing that the the Holy Spirit pops into his head is ox (laughs) treading grain tied to a great big wheel. You know, they've got this harness on the back of their shoulders and they are to walk round and round and round and turn this great big wheel and grain is to to be ground. And you can make sure that you get all the grain by putting a muzzle on the ox while it's walking round and round and round. Or you can unmuzzle the ox so it can have a bite to eat when it's going on its work. It's a lovely picture, isn't it, of the work of the elders. <clears throat> and the worker deserves his wages, Luke ten seven. One of the uh, guys who's pastoring a church locally now uh, he's pastoring Dunstable Baptist Church. His name's Barry King. Some of you may know of him, and some of you may have heard of him. Some of you know him. I've met him a couple of times. He's quite a character. He does a lawful lot of church revitalization, um, and as I say, the Lord's called him to pastor Dunstable Baptist Church. He's written a book called, Is Your Pastor a Muzzled Ox? Quite an interesting title, because... Because, unlike Fedic Baptist Church, there are some church pastors who are muzzled oxes. I, 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 can, I know guys in our own fraternal, I know one particular guy in our own fraternal, whose salary calculations are based upon what comes back from gift aid, nothing more, nothing less, and it's not changed for eight years. 
and it's below the living wage, and yet he keeps going. Let me just say this about how God has led us as a church. We are, I praise God that we are a church who honors God in this regard. One of the things that we were considering at the elders and deacons meeting on uh, Thursday was the proposed contract and remuneration and, and, and the whole nature of what it means to be the pastor of this church. That is a spirit-filled, spirit-led piece of work that the management team have put together. It is a brilliant honoring of this passage. And I praise God that you know how to love your pastors well. So the elders who serve the church well are worthy of double honor. The next slide, please, is the elders who are proved to be sinning are to be reproved publicly. Look at verses 19 through 21. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that others may take warning. And here's the charge. And I think it's come at this point particularly because this is the most difficult part of the calling. I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. It would seem that there were godly men who were serving in a full-time capacity in Ephesus who were muzzled oxes. And it would also seem that there some of there were some people who were just wanting to take the next snipe at the elders and there were tons of accusations flying around. Accusations go with the job. They do. There is, let me just... You know this anyway. There, are no such thing as a, there is no such thing as a perfect elder. There is no such thing as a perfect pastor. And there's no such thing as a perfect church family this side of glory. And accusations of us as elders doing things wrong will be part of the job. They just go with the job. Paul says they must be taken seriously. Do not entertain an accusation against an elder unless it is brought by two or three witnesses. When two or three people say the same thing about an elder of the church, we must take that in a deadly, serious way. It must be investigated thoroughly. It must be corroborated biblically. That's what he says in verse 19, two or three witnesses. That's an Old Testament requirement. Two or three witnesses. Here's the thing. One of the things that God has really blessed us with on the eldership and, and in the and, uh, elders and deacons and, and within, the, within the leaders of ministries within this church, we love each other. We genuinely, deeply love and respect each other. Our elders and deacons meetings are good fun. Aren't they, guys? They're good fun. Where we can have banter together and we can be, have fun together because we love each other and we can speak the truth in love to one another. And that's a real blessing of God Almighty for which we should thank God. But if an elder falls into sin and he's your best mate as well, that makes 
verse 20 a very difficult thing to do. Which is why Paul writes verse 21. Just think how much hurt and harm, not here by God's grace, how much hurt and harm has been done to God's family by elders who fall into sin. I've been involved in a church where that happened. Not this church. I've been involved in a church where that happened. And it is devastating. It takes years to recover from. I know of churches where it's happened within Bedfordshire. A church plant, their leader fell into sin. And it was utterly devastating. It was like a... It was like a, a even amongst, even for, for us in the local fraternal, it was like a stab in the heart when, it, when one of God's choicest servants falls into sin. It's a terrible thing. And how much damage to God's name has been done within the wider church within the United Kingdom by cover-ups over scandalous behavior by so-called ministers of the gospel. No wonder Paul writes, verse 21, Without partiality, God is watching, Christ Jesus is watching, the elect angels are watching, how you care for the church. So do it without partiality and with nothing out of favoritism. I don't care, says the Lord, if they're your best mate. If they're proved to be guilty of sin, you must deal with it. It's going to break your heart. But God says, my name is wrapped up in this thing. So once corroborated publicly, sinning elders must be reproved. That means to expose what they've done and call them to account publicly before the entire gathered church. And he tells us why. Notice there's a reason. But those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone. Why? So that others may take warning. It is a frightening reality. As I say, when, when, I, when I've had some personal experience but also in the wider context of elders and people that I've known who've fallen into sin have been reproved publicly and removed from serving uh, in, in leadership of the church it shakes you to the core of your being if you're an elder of a church may God keep me from that so please pray please pray for God's protection on us as elders and please ask us personally how, what sins we're battling with in our own lives. And pray for us that God would make us passionate sin assassins of our own heart and life. The elders who are proved to be sinning are to be reproved publicly. Last slide, please. New elders are to be appointed very carefully and slowly, look at verse 22. <clears throat> do not be hasty in the laying on of hands and do not share in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Stop drinking water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Let me just put a little parenthesis in a little by the way. Verse 23. I've heard it said by some who are devout teetotalers that Paul was asking Timothy to rub wine on his stomach externally. I don't think that's what he's saying at all. I, <coughs> I, don't do me no good, Robin. 
I, I think he's actually making a... He, there is something else going on here. I think there are two things going on here. I think Timothy was, suffered frequent illnesses, and I take that to be stress-related. Because pastoring a church can be a stressful time, particularly in a church like Ephesus. I also think he's making a... a, 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 a he's, making a he's having a, a sideways swipe at the false teachers, chapter 4-3. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods. There was probably a rabid teetotal brigade in Ephesus. So Paul says to Timothy... With all this stress going on in your life, have a glass of wine now and again, mate. I think that's what that's about. But at the heart of it, verse 22, do not be hasty. Take your time. What happens is why he says, do not, uh, do not be hasty in the laying on of hands. What that means, as I take it to mean, is whenever someone is appointed to the eldership, the other elders lay their hands on them. It doesn't, it's just recognizing that God has put someone else on the team. There's someone else joining the team and we're praying God's blessing upon the new member of the team. And so the laying on of hands isn't some magic thing. It's just a recognition that God has called us to recognize what God has done in this person's life. And we've called him to the eldership and the church have ratified that. And we lay hands on that guy and go... We're a team. We're in this together. That's what he's talking about. So take your time. Don't be hasty. And be ever so, ever so careful. Look at verse 24. The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sins of others trail behind them. In the same way, good deeds are obvious, even those that are not obvious cannot remain hidden forever. We are called by Jesus and by the Apostle Paul to carefully examine the fruit of their lives. He says the obvious, doesn't he? The sins of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. Obvious sins are obvious. They are. Well, they wouldn't be obvious otherwise. <laughs> obvious sins are obvious. But hidden sin, says Paul, comes to light eventually. Hidden sins such as character flaws, everyone can put on a Sunday face. Everyone can put on a church face. Everyone can put on a good performance. But it's the hidden sins that will come to light eventually, character flaws. That's why he deals with those character flaws in chapter 3. And that's why character, character, character is an essential thing that we as God's people and the elders of the church need to be as convinced as we are before God that this guy's got a Christ-like character. Character flaws such as a lack of self-control, chapter 3, verse 2. Character flaws such as the love of money, chapter 3, verse 3. Marriage problems, chapter 3, verse 4. Pride, chapter 3, verse 6. Not much of a reputation with those outside the church, chapter 3, verse 7. They're the hidden sins. They're, the, they're, they're what the church don't see. But God calls us to look and take time. 
So carefully examine the fruit of their lives. Equally, good deeds are obvious too. In the same way, verse 25, good deeds are obvious, even those that are not obvious. So there's obvious good deeds and there's hidden good deeds. Even the less obvious come to light over time. You see, the truth of a man's growing Christ-like character will be evident over time. That's why Jesus says, and if, if you want to follow this up in your home groups, I commend it to you, Matthew seven fifteen through 20, which ends by Jesus saying, by their fruits you will know them. Not by just looking at their CV. By their fruits you will know them. Last slide, please. No wonder Paul says, I charge you in the sight of of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. In the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels, we must honour our elders who serve us well, reprove our elders who are proved guilty of sinning and appoint our elders very carefully and very wisely so that God's great name is honoured in our church family, and his kingdom is extended in our community. Let us pray. In the, in the, I charge you in the sight of God and Christ Jesus and the elect angels to keep these instructions without partiality and to do nothing out of favoritism. These are solemn words, Heavenly Father. We ask and pray, therefore, that as we move into this phase of calling someone else to join the eldership team in a full-time paid capacity, that you would help us to take our time and that you would make it crystal clear who the man of your choice is. Help us to meditate deeply upon what you've said to us this morning. We love this church. We love the church that you have purchased with your own blood. Help us by how we live to glorify you in our lives. Help us to hate sin as much as you do. Help us to love one another as much as you do. We praise and bless you for your kindness to us. Be glorified in this church and in our community. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day. After we've um, sung this hymn, we're going to come around the Lord's table. Ian is going to be leading us around the table. If you do need to leave after the singing of this song, that's fine. If you can stay, this table is open for everyone who knows and loves the Lord Jesus.